Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 through 55. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flocks, or of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the, in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired at Paddan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him, that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and song, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? 
Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of your kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes, your female goats, have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fed, fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these, my daughters, or for their children, whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jeger Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Gilead. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar? which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country, Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Coleman, for reading all of that. 
no small feat. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a good father to us. Uh, Lord, we are deficient in so many ways. Uh, those of us who carry the name Father that you carry um, fail in, in a myriad of ways, and yet you are perfect. You're perfect in your fatherhood. You're perfect in your example. You're perfect in, in all ways, and, and you uh, sent your son to forgive us of our failures and to fill all those cracks, all those spaces where we fall short. We thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, chapter 31 of Genesis is a story about fathers. And every father has strengths and weaknesses. All of us, all of us who are fathers will, you know, our kids will grow up. And they'll grow up to appreciate certain things about us. And they'll grow up to look back and recognize certain flaws that we have. I mean, there's not really any way around that. You know, you can, uh, perhaps some fathers have less flaws than, than other fathers, perhaps, whatever. But, but that will be the case. Looking back, one of the things that I appreciate about my own father is that no matter where we were, no matter who we were around, my dad was the baddest man in the room every time, right? At least that's how I viewed him. That's how I saw him. No matter where we were, now, now, well, now, was he actually the strongest? Was he actually the toughest guy? Looking back, knowing what I know now, maybe not, maybe not always but usually. And to me, as a kid, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. If it went down, my dad would end up on top. No doubt in my mind. Push came to shove, I was his son, and he would protect me. And I think that's a good thing in general. And part of the role of a father is to protect. And that can look like a lot of different things, but we as fathers create a space where our kids can feel uh, the right kind of safe. And that's necessary. It's helpful for a child to grow up healthy. No matter where I was, if I was with my dad, I wasn't afraid of anyone. Except, sometimes, my dad, right? As I said, Genesis 31 is a passage about fathers. We have Jacob, who now is the father of 10 sons and, um, oh no, 11 sons and a daughter, right, that we know of. And in the passage, we are presented with two contrasting fathers. The father Laban, the father of the world, representing the fathers of the world, and God, the father of Abraham and Isaac, the father of Jacob's fathers, the father in heaven. And Jacob has for a while had favor in the eyes of Laban. He's had favor in the eyes of the fathers of the world, but suddenly he doesn't. What happens? Well, the setting 
is presented to us in the first three verses. Despite Jacob prospering on fair terms, terms that they had agreed upon, and in fact Laban had uh, been deceptive about, even still, Jacob prospered. And yet the sons of Laban accuse Jacob of stealing all of their father's wealth. You see, the sons of the world learned this from their unfair father, right? They learn to be unfair and to think wrongly from their father. And Jacob, he sees the writing on the wall here. You see, this world we live in, this world that, that Jacob lives in, I should say, uh, that used to be at least somewhat for him is turning against him, and it makes you think about the fact that, that we, as sons of our Heavenly Father, live in a world that, to some extent, used to be for us, but now is turning against us, and quickly. And the command of God comes to Jacob. Return to the land of your father, the land that I promised. Now, here's the question I want to put before you this morning. Who would you want to be on your side, and whose side would you want to be on? The side of the fathers of the world, the side of Laban? You were Jacob? Or the side of Jacob's fathers, God, our Heavenly Father? You see, let me give you a synopsis of why you should choose God. A good father does at least three things, and we're going to see these three things in our passage. Certainly a good father does more than this, but I think a good father does these things. He is present with his children. He protects his children, and he provides for his children. What the text is going to show us is the fathers of the world have never actually been good fathers. They don't do the they don't do those things. When we, as earthly fathers, reflect the fathers of the world, the Labans and Satan before him, we don't do those things. But when we reflect our Heavenly Father, we do. And our Heavenly Father is good and He always does those things. So let me give you... I want to give you three arguments for why we ought to be on the side of our Heavenly Father and why we want the Heavenly Father to be on our side and not the fathers of this world. Argument one, the world was never actually for us, but God is with us. The world was never actually for us, but God is with us. You see, Jacob, realizing, uh, seeing the writing on the wall, realizing what's happening, realizing that the sons of Laban are going to come against him, that Laban has turned against him, he goes to his wives, he goes to them out in the field, right, away from prying ears where someone might not overhear their conversation, might not overhear their plans, and he presents his evaluation of the situation to them and his case for what they ought to do next. And as a side note, it's kind of nice to see here one of the patriarchs actually leading his wives well, right? I mean, for finally, 
in all of Genesis, finally, one of the patriarchs is like, hey, maybe I should actually talk to my wife, share you know, what God is doing, share what God has said to me, and, 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 and actually lead them and convince them, hey, this is, I think, what God wants us to do. And, and so that's what he does. And he, his summary um, is in verse 5. He says, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. And then he makes his case I served your father. He constantly tried to cheat me. It only worked out for us because God protected me. God made the sheep to be multicolored. Verse 9, I didn't take your father's wealth as your brothers claim. God took it and he gave it to me. Then he shares how God gave him this vision that the sheep would be multicolored to bring justice to Laban for the ways in which Laban had treated them unfairly. And he reminds, and he reminded him that he was to come out of this land and return to the land of his fathers, to the promised land. And so he says, I think this is what we ought to do. And his wives, they echo the same sentiment, right? They say, well, Laban was never really for us either. He sold us, he sold us quite literally for your labor. And then all the work, all that work that you did to profit him, he devoured it. He used it all up. He ought to have given some of that to his daughters and to his daughter's sons and to his grandchildren, but he didn't do for us and for our children as he ought. He used it up, and in verse 15 and 16, what they say is, you are right, Jacob. God has taken away what Laban ought to have given to us in the first place. God has protected us. He has seen after us. All these years that Laban, for 20 years, Laban took what should have been ours, and now God has, in the 11th hour, given it back to us. And so they say, whatever God has said, let's do that. Whatever God has said to you, husband, let's do that. Because God's faithful. And church... I want you to understand the world was never actually for us. The world and her sons only ever appreciate our partnership to the degree that it serves their ends as well. They're fine to give us their daughters and make us part of their family so long as the blessings of God pour over onto them as well. But as soon as God comes against them, as soon as their agenda is in competition with God's agenda, their fickle favor ceases. Because they were never actually for us. They were always actually for themselves. We examine closely. We can see how the father of this world has been trying to cheat God's people ten times over from the very beginning because he is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. And since the beginning, he's been taking the good things of God and he's been twisting them around and shifting them over and over to deceive and to do harm. The serpent in the garden acts like he is on Eve's side. He pretends as if he has her best interest in mind. Well, shouldn't you have a decision in this, Eve? I mean, can't you make a good choice? 
Doesn't the fruit look good? Take it. Eat it. He takes some good desire and tells us that this or that will give us what we want. But friends, it's only a bait and switch. The deceiver says things like, hey, you need to take care of yourself. And then tempts us to be selfish. Justifies. Uh, tempts us with justifications for failing to step up and do what God asks us to do. He tempts us in things like, well, well, don't you, aren't these desires, aren't these sexual desires natural to have and to fulfill? And then he uses those, he twists them and uses them to poison us. He does this in a myriad of ways if we open our eyes to it. Satan positions his lies to look like they have good intent, to look like they have our best interest in mind. But he's really positioning himself to steal, kill, and destroy us. And too often, the sons of this world, they're blind to that reality. And we are often blind to it for a while. Too often... The sons of this world only see the loss of what they want rather than what is right and wrong. But listen, we have a Father in heaven who actually doesn't need anything from us. He is not like Laban. He does not need our service. He does not need us to increase his flocks. He owns it all. His favor isn't dependent on what we can do for him. This favor depends on His eternal, unconditional promises. And that Father sent His Son, sent His Son to be God with us. He hasn't changed our wages ten times. His Son paid the wages once and for all for our sin. He hasn't sold us out for profit. His Son bought us with His blood. Then He sent His Spirit to be with us on our journey through this world to the promised land. Friends, the world has never been with us. It's never been for us. But God is with us. God is present. And so I ask you, who do you want on your side? And whose side do you want to be on? What, and what's the right response to this reality? Well, it's exactly the response of Jacob's wives, am I right? Whatever God says, let's do that. Simply because God said it. Simply because the God, the right response to the one who promises to be with us unconditionally is to obey him unflinchingly. Is that not the kind of father that we would want to obey? So argument two that I have for you, the idols never secured anything, but God protects us. Your idols, the idols that you have in your life, the idols of the world, they have never secured anything for us, but God protects us. Here's what Jacob does. While his father-in-law is away, he gets all of his family, he gets all of his possessions together, and he takes off. 
And then in verse 19, it says that Rachel stole his father's household gods. You remember in the passage before, it says that uh, uh, Laban, by divining, realized that the Lord had blessed him through Jacob and is probably in relation to these household gods. And so there's this speculation about, well, what's the deal with these household gods? Why did Rachel take them? Some people have said, well, uh, she thought that the, the idols would protect them. Some people have said that um, perhaps she thought that uh, Laban would be able to divine their whereabouts by using these idols, and so she wanted to take them away so that he couldn't do that. It, whatever the case is, I think that the important point that is uh, trying to be made here is that the word here for stole in verse 19 is the same Hebrew word for tricked in verse 20. They're the same thing. And so what it's communicating to us is that Jacob, in a figurative way, stole away his family when Laban wasn't looking. But Rachel, in a literal way, stole away his idol when he wasn't looking. And in so doing, it turns out that she likely puts them at more risk than they would have been. Because Laban may have, when he got back from shearing the sheep may have, and saw that Jacob was gone and his daughters were gone and his grandchildren were gone and all their possessions were gone, he might have said, you know what, that stuff really was his and uh, that, you know, I hate the fact that he ran away, but like, this is not worth it to pursue him. But because Rachel stole something that was his, that he cherished, his idol, it guaranteed that Laban would chase after them. And so despite a three-day lead, it only takes Laban seven days to catch up. The night before, he's about to overtake them. And I want you to understand the language here. When it talks about overtaking them, it is implying a battle is about to ensue. This is not like a peaceful, like, hey, I caught up with you. Hey, stop. This is like, I'm, I'm taking you out kind of a thing. God tells Laban, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, now, if you have a really good memory, and I don't expect that you do, but if you have a really good memory, you might remember all the way back when Abraham sent his servant and Laban was the first on the scene, right? And, and he was talking with Abraham's servant and then Abraham's servant tells Laban and Laban's father about the story about why he's there and how he's trying to find. And, and so Laban's sister, Rebecca, goes to be uh, the wife for Isaac, right? And what does he say there? What does Laban say there after he hears the story? He says, well, I can't say anything good or bad about this. It's the same phrase. And it's related to the phrase that's used for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the good, good and bad. Same phrase. And so the idea that's being conveyed here is not so much that you can't say a mean thing about Jacob, but the idea that's being conveyed is, Laban, you cannot stand in judgment over my son. You don't get to do that. That's what God is saying. You do not get to be judge, jury, and executioner of any kind of judgment over Jacob. You see, what do those who have no real authority to judge do instead? Well, they accuse. They accuse. And that's exactly what we see Laban do. He is powerless to stop Jacob because God has intervened, but he can't accuse him. 
And there are two kinds of accusations that we see here in verse 26 and following. The first kind of accusation is mostly lies. Verses 26 through 29, he says, Jacob tricked him. And there is some truth to that. But he quickly speaks like Jacob is holding his daughters hostage. Right? Like, like Laban was innocently betrayed from being the loving father that he's always been, but we know the story. Laban was the one that used his daughters in that way to leverage Jacob into serving him, right? You've driven away my daughters like captives of the sword, it says. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell as if he's this loving father? Then, then, so quickly, so suddenly, the narrative flips, doesn't it? It flips to Laban having the knife on Jacob's neck. Oh, I could take you out if I wanted to. It's in my power to do you harm. You see how those who accuse flip the narrative however they want in order to serve their purposes in that moment. Second, so some accusations are mostly lies and some accusations are actually mostly true. Verse 30, Jacob has gone away because he wanted to go to his father's house. That's true. But why did you steal my gods, he says. Essentially, your father, Jacob, has a god. You're going back to your father and to that, but why did you take my, then why did you take my gods away? And it is true that someone took it, though Jacob did not know and was not aware. And we get this important note here, because Jacob is hasty in his speech. He's hasty in his reply. And by swearing, whoever took it will die, he actually signs the death warrant of the one that he loves the most. And she will die. She will die early. Laban goes on the hunt for his gods and can't find them. But when he comes to Rachel, uh, in a very interesting note, she excuses herself from getting up because it's her time of the month. And so Laban doesn't find the gods because she's sitting on them. The fact that Rachel would sit on them, let alone pretend or might actually be menstruating on them, would have been utterly defiling and humiliating to these gods. These gods who needed the blood of this woman to cover them and to protect them. You understand? They couldn't protect themselves. They needed Rachel to sit on them. How weak are the false gods and the idols of this world compared to the God who says, no, Laban, you cannot stand in judgment over my son. You will not do it. And he can't help but obey. This is what the father of this world, Satan, does. Not only does he seek to deceive and destroy us, but when he can't, he is the accuser. He wants to come before God and give the list of all of our wrongs. And no doubt, there's some truth in them, right? If you are like me, you've sinned. And I have no doubt that Satan could, if God would allow him, come before his throne and could make accurate accusations against me. 
frankly, it would not actually be very hard for him, unfortunately. But our Father in heaven doesn't have sons that accuse us of stealing from him. Rather, he has a son who covers us with his blood. When the moment came, he did not need anyone to hide him from those who wrongly accused him. Jacob responds, what is my offense? Where is my sin? But Jesus, who can legitimately say this of his whole life, doesn't say that. Rather, he willingly allows himself to be falsely accused, accused actually of the things that we do, that he did not do, and willingly takes our accusations that we deserve and dies in our place. This is the God who loves us. But then he does something else. Then he goes down to hell. He busts down the gates. He binds Satan in order that he can never come before God and accuse us again. And he comes back from the dead. That death that is the right punishment of sin, for sin. Letting us know that we, too, have victory over that death. He constantly intercedes for us now before the Father. An everlasting reminder that He paid for that sin, too. For those of us who are God's children who have repented of our sin and put our faith in Christ, when the sins of our past come chasing us, come looking to accuse us, come looking to destroy us, God says, you cannot even speak right or wrong over this child of mine. But here's where we need to especially pay attention. Because that doesn't mean that the accuser is doing nothing. He may not be able to have audience with God, but he is still meddling in the affairs of men, still accusing us to one another, still igniting accusations. Let us remember that accusations will come. The world loves Laban's strategy to militantly come after Christians and come after Christ, then act like the church is the one that's holding people hostage, all the while trying to put the knife on the throats of humanity on the throats of those who bear God's image. But even if the dogs are on our heels, God will protect His church. The church must be careful as well as we hear accusations. Some accusations are mostly lies. Others are mostly true. Almost all are a mixture of both. And when we are accused Listen, church, when we are accused, just because one part is a lie does not mean that we shouldn't own the part that is true rather than hide it. We do cling to our idols sometimes. We do sin. We do need to repent of those things. If our God protects us, then those idols that we keep only do us damage. So get rid of them. At times, accusations can educate us if we are not hasty like Jacob, but take the time to look around for the truth and seek out the idols in our own hearts. So let us not throw accusations like Laban, but judge ourselves 
and others rightly. Let us be slow to respond, unlike Jacob, because, frankly, you don't know whose death warrant you might be signing. Argument three. The world gives us nothing. God gives us everything. Jacob is irate, right? And you can imagine. I mean, imagine, uh, just, just, just take a minute to picture this scene. He's, he's been running away. Uh, Laban and his men are, are, are coming upon him, seemingly going to attack him. His children are trembling in fear. And he gets there and and Laban accuses him of something that he thinks that he, is, he and his family are completely innocent of. Laban's cheated him ten times, and now he's chasing him down. Are you kidding me? He's irate. You would be too. And Jacob re- begins to recount all the ways that Laban has deceived him, all the ways that he's done him wrong, the years of service, the ways Jacob took losses on himself, which have been, would have been uh, seen as an unfair agreement in the ancient world. If an animal had been lost to predators by no fault of the shepherd, the owner, not the shepherd, was supposed to bear that cost. But but Jacob says, no, I even paid for that. The heat consumed me, the cold at night, and all the while, Laban, you were deceiving me. And he comes to this climactic statement. The, The climactic statement of the whole chapter is in verse 42. It says this, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. You see, the clear emphasis is that all of this is a product of God's work. God was present. God protected, God has provided. And Laban's weak response falls flat. Not that it's entirely untrue. That was his stuff at one point, in a sense. But God had given it to Jacob. And unlike Jacob's brother's birthright, and unlike Esau's blessing, this time Jacob obtained it, fair and square. The father of the world thinks the world is his. He is the consumer. And he desires to devour everything in his path. And he seeks to try to take away whatever he can. But our heavenly father has served him an eviction notice. Our Father from eternity is self-giving by nature, and He is infinite in His goodness. His well never runs dry. His cup overflows. There is no end to His riches. Everything good comes from Him, and He never runs out. You see, this whole story, it should perk the ears of the original readers, the people of Israel. This Israel, right, who just recently left Egypt. They would be the ones that would be reading this for the first time, and, and they'd be hearing that the same God that protected Jacob is the same God who came to Moses saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of 
Jacob. The same God promised that the people wouldn't leave Egypt empty-handed. The same God humiliated the gods of the Egyptians. The same God led them out of lives of servitude towards the promised land. The same God caused the Egyptians to hand them their wealth as they left willingly. The same God protected them as their previous oppressors pursued them. But it should perk our ears as well. For the same God is the same God today, and He does the same things for His children today as well. He promises that we will not be empty-handed. He has humiliated all other gods in His death and resurrection and will humiliate all the gods of this age. He has led us out of slavery to sin and pointed our faces towards the promised land. And though our former oppressors pursue us, and those who are still in slavery try to bind us again, the gates of hell cannot prevail against His church. That is what God's promised. A Laban without any options proposes a covenant, a peace treaty. And it's interesting. It's an interesting treaty because, in truth, Laban has no bargaining chips. All that, and in the treaty, all that he requires of Jacob is actually what Jacob already wants anyway, what God has already called Jacob to. Don't come over here to attack me. Jacob's like, I don't want to come back here. That's not my plan. Uh, don't take any other wives. Is, how... how how ridiculous of a statement is that? Laban, who tricked him into marrying multiple wives, says, hey, I'm, God's going to watch over you, not that you wouldn't take any more wives. It's like, dude, you don't care. And my, my guess is Jacob's like, I don't want any more wives. Like, this is, this is a problem enough. Amen. Come on. No, no offense to wives, but it's just like, one is good. One is good. All right. It shows us, though, that even this human covenant is from God because it actually accords with what God wants for Jacob anyway. What an interesting thing. What an interesting thing that God would bend the will of Laban to his will for the benefit of Jacob. God turns his heart to what, want what God wants anyways, even if it's for different reasons, even if it's for different reasons. And this is God's common grace when he does this. And so Jacob agrees. See, the world may come after us, accuse us, cheat us, but we don't have to insist on being militant towards the world if they're willing to make peace, so long as, so long as, that peace doesn't sacrifice what God has commanded of us, so long as it doesn't compromise what God's word would otherwise tell us. And this, this will at times happen because God is the Father of all things and has given all authority over heaven and earth to his Son, Jesus Christ, already. So listen, whose side do you want to be on and who do you want to be on your side? Fathers of the world, our Father in heaven. Do you want to be another son of the world whose fathers have no authority? 
but what's been given to them for this short time? Or do you want to stand with the Son of the Father, to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth? You see, there have been countless moments in my own life where God, uh, where I've wondered where God was. There have been countless moments when I've been afraid or wondered why God wasn't protecting me from some threat or some danger in that moment. There have been countless moments when I've thought I needed to look to something else or to someone else to give me and provide for me what I wanted or what I needed in that moment. And I'm sure Jacob had similar feelings as he looked back across the horizon and saw Laban and his forces pursuing him. And I'm sure the people of Israel with their backs against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army bearing down on them felt the exact same thing. And then again, when God commanded them to enter the promised land and the people of Canaan were before them like giants, I'm sure they felt the same thing. And I'm sure that the disciples on Saturday wondering, what do we do now that Jesus is dead, felt the exact same thing. Where is God? He's not with us. Where is God? He's not even able to protect himself. Where is God? He is not able to provide for us. And yet they did not realize that what they thought was defeat was actually Jesus sealing the victory. Time and again, the things that I've turned to to trust instead of God have let me down in the end. Time and again, these moments of fear and doubt have been swallowed up by the goodness of God. Listen, in all of my life, in all of my life, never has there been a time when I have gone with what God's Word said, when I have trusted God instead of the world, and it has let me down in the end. Never. In fact, I would say that when I survey my life and the blessings that God has given me and the best blessings that I have, every single one of them have come through the fact that I have not trusted the world and I have trusted God instead with something. Every single time. Whose side do you want to be on? And who do you want to be on your side? Which father do you want? And which kind of father do you want to be?